does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Brian Cardinal going to join us here in just a couple minutes, or scheduled to do so, so we hope to catch up to the former Purdue forward. Maybe he's cleaning a floor somewhere. Entirely possible, right? After all, he is the custodian. His son's a pretty good player at uh, Garen Catholic, right? Junior, I believe? Yes. Indeed he is. How many NBA franchises can you name that Brian Cardinal played for? One right now on the spot, and that's, of course, the Mavs, where he won... The 2011 NBA title. Pistons, Wiz, Warriors, Grizzlies, Wolves, and Mavs. Decent amount. Did you say we have him, Eddie? Uh, Brian Cardinal joins us now on the program. Now, Brian, I'm going to begin with this, and thanks for your time today, by the way. Um, Yeah, no worries. So, and I think actually this is kind of cool. The reason I thought you'd be the perfect person to have on when talking about IU-Purdue rivalry is this. Every year on Twitter, I ask a question where I say, whichever fan, whichever team you're a fan of within this rivalry, tell me the player from the other school that you most hated, okay? And then I also <laughs> do one that says, tell me the player from the other school that deep down you truly actually kind of rooted for and you hated that they were on the other team because you really were a fan of the the way they played. And you actually are the leading vote-getter for, as voted by IU fans, in both categories. Which, which is kind of <laughs> cool, right? Right, huh? So, so which one are you more proud of? Are you more proud that you're the guy that IU fans most disliked or the guy that IU fans most respected? Oh, goodness. You know what? I'll take them both. I'll take them both. I, I uh, uh, that's 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 impressive that I, I make the list on both. <laughs> it is right. I mean, because you, now Will Sheehy is the runaway winner. I should have asked you who do you think is the winner that Purdue fans most vote for as their most disliked Indiana player? But I can tell you, it's Will oh, Sheehy. Man. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, you know, I, I I would think Will would Will would rank up there. I mean, you know, I used to had so many great players that that, uh, you know, put it to Purdue over the years that, uh, you know, but yeah, I'm sure Will, Will's got to be up there. So let's begin with this before we get to, you know, the latest installment with Purdue, who obviously, you know, Matt's got him rolling and I want your thoughts on that, but to go back and talk about the rivalry a little bit, Brian Cardinal, you grew up obviously in Illinois around the university of Illinois, and then you go to Purdue. So like, when was the point really that you as a player truly got a sense for the rivalry itself? And what is just kind of your overall recollection when you think about being involved in it as a player? Well, you know, for, for me, I, I had the, I had the unique um, opportunity to, to, to be a huge Illinois fan growing up. My dad worked at the university of Illinois as an athletic trainer for the men's basketball team. So, so I grew up around Illinois basketball, you know, 95% of my wardrobe was orange and blue. Um, and then I signed with Purdue and uh, I, I need to, I need to, you know, get rid of all those clothes. But, you know, you know, one of, one of my first memories of, of just, 
the IU rivalry, whether it's Illinois IU or Purdue IU, was when Nick Anderson hit that shot at half court. Um, I was there, man. I, let oh, me tell man. you. I, that was that was the greatest shot. Oh my god! I still get chills. I still get so, okay. chills. I, I remember watching that at home, and you know, I think it was snowy out, and I went out and I, I I practiced that shot a zillion different times. I never made one, you know, in my front yard, and uh, but that was that was spectacular. So it was that, and then it was the Lou Henson, Bobby Knight, you know, the the that rivalry, but. Once I, once I got to Purdue, um, and, and you could just feel, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's on campus at Purdue or, or at the hotel, uh, there in Bloomington, getting ready for our game, there was just a a dislike, a hatred, and you could just feel it in your bones walking on campus. You just felt differently on IU Purdue game days. I always thought it was interesting, Brian, and I wanted your perspective on this. And for players, I think it makes it fun. But you tell me if this is off base. You know, fans get so into the rivalry. And especially, you know, like myself growing up in Indy, right? So I had friends that went to Purdue and then I went to Indiana. So, you know, there's that we're always going back and forth. But then I found it interesting to find that that we assume as fans that the players just hate each other. And then you find out that in reality – your rivalry is rooted not necessarily in a hatred, but in the fact that a lot of those guys you probably knew from the AAU circles or elsewise, and you wanted bragging rights, but in reality, it was kind of good to see them before the game type thing. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. Um, you know, I, I was a huge fan of A.J. Guyton. Loved playing against him. He grew up in Illinois, as did I. Um, you know, loved, loved competing against him and just enjoy him as a person. Um, you know, growing up, I remember my dad went, went to, uh, went to the video guy at Illinois and said, Hey, yeah, I, I, I need, I need Brian Evans cutups of, you know, of how, how just good he was coming off screens and making his little shot. And, you know, and, 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 and then I had a chance to meet Brian Evans several years ago. And that was heck, I, you know, even if I was an old guy, like I, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, I played, I played against Harris. Uh, I God, I forget how you even say my man's name. Um, Mia Zinovich. Yes. And I, I played against him in a, in an all-star game. Um, and I, I remember talking to him, um, you know, so, so, you know, it's, it's great from a player standpoint. You know, I think, I think we get really juiced up. I think we get really excited, amped up because of the fans, right? I mean, you walk into assembly hall and you know, everybody there really hates you. or dislikes <laughs> you. We'll, st- we'll just say dislikes you. Yeah. So you um, knew it before I was doing Twitter surveys about it. Oh man. I, you know, I tell you, I mean, I, I did, I did, I did something a couple years ago, maybe it was last summer or the summer before uh, when they were celebrating Chad Austin's uh, last second shots. And uh, at 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 IU at Bloomington there at the Assembly Hall and and uh, I got interviewed and and it was kind of neat just because it, it it dusted off a lot of memories for me and you know whether I was at the free throw line and you got the whole arena chanting Rogaine I mean <laughs> that was that was spectacular that was awesome um, you know but there's nothing better than going to IU and and, and getting a win. And and knowing that knowing that you came 
on a bus and you might have 50 to 60 Purdue fans in that whole arena and knowing that, that you and 60 others walk out of their victors, um, you know, just like, just like, if you know, when IU comes to Purdue and, and, uh, and if they win, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, there's no better feeling. I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular being able to walk out of an arena knowing that everybody dislikes you, but you got, you got the win. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Purdue great Brian Cardinal is our guest. Brian, nationally, everybody wants to talk about Duke-UNC as the perennial rivalry in the sport. I, I would argue that IU-Purdue is right there, if not better, what is it that has allowed this rivalry, of course, the state aspect of it being cross-state rivals, but what is it about the rivalry that's made it stand the test of time to be viewed in that light with other great rivalries in the sport? Well, you know, I, I think you said, you know, the state, you know, being, being in the same state is, is pretty great. Um, you know, knowing that, you know, if you grow up here, you know, you know, majority of the kids or half the kids that you grow up and, and, and graduate high school, half goes to IU, the other half goes to Purdue, we'll say, um, or, or, or we'll say, we'll say a third goes to Purdue, two thirds goes to IU, Notre Dame, you know, Butler, you know, every other school. And, and, but yet they still are still massive IU fans. And, you know, so, you know, so so you've got the, you have that history growing up. You've got, you know, the great Gene Cady, Bobby Knight. You know those guys. Oh my gosh! I mean, having those guys on the sideline, walking up and down. You know, you just talk about just the intimidation factor of those guys. You know, you know those those two are the ones that really started this rivalry off. I think, um, and then and then you just have you know the success that Purdue's had. You know, the last, you know, however long Painter's been there, um, you know, it just adds fuel to the fire. And, you know, we, we uh, you know, Purdue had a long run there of just not losing to IU. And then last year, you know, we got beat a couple of times. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's intense. It's fun. You know, it's, it, it, it's deep into families that, uh, uh, you know, it's just, I, I, I think it's the best rivalry in college sports, hands down. Brian, Brian Cardinal's our guest. In, in today's world, right, it's it's a different world now, but in today's world, let's say if you had – if the same things had applied when you were playing, would you have been tempted to go and get like the fifth-year super senior year type thing at Illinois? Would you have been tempted to – to go ahead and, and once you had proven yourself as a Big Ten player, fulfill a kid dream of playing for Illinois. Oh man, you know if you think about it, if I would have went to Illinois for for my for a year, I probably I would have been twenty nine at the time. And, uh, <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, you know, I'm I'm so grateful for my time at Purdue. Um, you know, I can't imagine putting on any other. For me personally, I can't imagine putting on any other kind of uniform. Um, representing any other school than than Purdue, and uh, yeah, I'm grateful for my time there. It's, it's it uh, it was an amazing place, is an amazing place, but uh, I can't imagine going anywhere else, transferring at any other time. 
uh, or representing any any other school than Purdue. Well, here's why I ask, because in today's world, when that is common, and I'm not saying that Purdue has been completely immune to it, but there are players at Purdue right now, Brian Cardinal, in reality, that probably after last season in particular could have gone elsewhere and and elevated their role, but they all stayed for the most part. That nucleus stayed at Purdue. You know, I'm talking about guys like a Trey Kaufman Wren or a Caleb First or even a Mason Gillis that maybe could have gone somewhere else and been the guy, right? But they but they're bought in. What is it about Matt Painter's program and Purdue that has allowed them? this sort of cohesiveness and this buy-in year in and year out? Well, you know, I, I, I think it starts with Painter. I think it starts with, with, with the university and, and Coach Painter just having, having a level of trust. Um, you know, I think everybody, I, I think all players trust him. You know, I, you know, I think he says what he, you know, he does what he says. You know, he's honest. Um, and that's and that's unique in in this landscape. I think um, you know just you know trusting somebody is unique. Being honest with people is unique. Uh, and I think I think Coach Painter is 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 a great coach on the court. I think he's a great person off the court. Um, and I, I just think what he's built there, just you know those two things. I think honesty and trust, you know, I, I think are critical. And, and when you're a young when you're a young player when you're a young kid trying to reach your goals, you know you want to be with people that you trust that are going to push you to to be the best that are going to push you to excel, going to push you out of your comfort zone, right? I think that's why a lot of kids transfer or leave because they get pushed out of their comfort zone, and sometimes that's okay. You know, I think that's healthy to be out of your comfort zone and. I think Coach Painter pushes kids um, out of their comfort zone because he knows that they can be even better than what they think they can be. And then when you put that together, when you put all those things together and, 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 and collectively you get in a room, you know, everybody's fighting for each other. Everybody's pushing each other and, and one through whatever um, from the you know, best player on down to, you know, the, 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 the manager, Everybody's pushing for that goal, pushing to, for for that greatness, and uh, uh, you know I, I think that's why people respect Coach Painter around the country. Whether it's the NBA, whether it's college, high school, they've got a level of respect for him, uh, and 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 I think that's why he's had such great success. Brian Cardinal is our guest. Brian, I want to turn the clocks back to 2011. You and the Dallas Mavericks have just closed out the Miami Heat in six games to win the NBA Finals. You're popping champagne. You're celebrating. Dirk's finally got his ring. You yourself have a championship ring. Now I want to fast forward to April of this year. And let's say that the, in terms of not unthinkable, but the Boilermakers have been able to push aside their early round struggles and they've made it to the top of the mountain. I get it. It's different because you're not a player in this instance. But if you could put yourself in future Brian Cardinal's shoes and that happens... How do you imagine that feeling would compare to actually winning an NBA title, seeing your alma mater finally win a national championship? Oh, it'd be, it'd be incredible. It'd be incredible. You know, you know, the great thing that, that coach painters done, I think for uh, all former players is, is he's allowed us, you know, to stay connected with the team. He's allowed us to, um, or, or he's given us a platform to stay connected. He's, he's, 
he's given us that that um, you know that family atmosphere. You know, we're 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 all a part of that family. We're you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, or how many minutes you played. Once you put on that Purdue uniform, you're you're part of that family forever. And you know, if we're able to get there, uh, if we're able to win a championship, you know, it'll be just like you know I was playing. It it, it would be incredible. Um, you know, and I, I think I think all former players, I think Coach Painter included, uh, you know, we all want to get to the Final Four. We all want to win a championship. Uh, you know, really, I I, I want to get to a championship. You know, for for Coach Katie, um, you know, he, he's meant the world to me. He's meant the world to so many you know former players to Coach Painter, um, and and I would love to be able to see him get get on that court you know, hoist that trophy or stand next to that trophy. Um, you know, that, that would be, that would be the highlight, you know, beyond, you know, all highlights to be able to see coach Katie, be able to be a part of a championship team, part of a championship program. Um, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm rooting for. And, uh, you know, that's, 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 you know, that's what I, I envision at the end of the day when we win this championship, that uh, Coach Katie will be celebrated. Coach Painter will be celebrated. Um, so that's that's what I'm hoping for. What will it take, Brian? I mean, it, you know, listen, they got a great team. Zach Eady's a great player. They have good supporting cast. Um, the two games that Purdue has lost this year, team shot the lights out. And I don't know that Indiana has the outside shooting to do that. But what would be for tonight? What's Purdue going to have to do to win this game? And then what does need to change in March to get them past that hump? Well, I think, you know, I think, I think for tonight's game, you know, you know, you, I think you can look at what Purdue's done, you know, up into this game and you can throw it out the, out the window. I think you can look at what IU's done or hasn't done up into this game and throw it out. Once you get into that arena, once you get, you know, jump ball, you know, fans are chanting, you know, it's, it's 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 going to be intense. It's going to be awesome. The atmosphere is going to be great, and you're just going to have to play. And you know, you know, we get everybody's best shot. And I'm anticipating IU giving us the same, um, you know, the same challenges that that the other teams have. You know, I'm anticipating they're going to shoot better. I'm I'm anticipating they're going to shoot well. Um, but you know, I think I think Purdue just does what they can do. You know, if they control what they can control, um, you know, I, I think I think they're going to have have a great game, have great success, and and that's what's tough, right? I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of times people get judged judged on their last game. Um, you know, we've had great seasons the last several years, but we've gotten beaten the, you know, you know, first game in the NCAA tournament, so you get judged on that. You know, you know, in order for us to to make it to the final four, in order for us to win a championship. We're going to have to play special. We're going to have to. We're going to have to do something that that uh, somebody's going to have to step up. Somebody's going to have to knock down shots. We're going to have to make it uncomfortable for other teams because we're going to get everybody's best shot. You know, I think Coach Painter ha- ha- made the comment the other day that you know, you know, Purdue doesn't have you know, you know, the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors on Purdue's team. Uh, anytime they've lost on the road, there's been a court storming. You know, and I mean that's pretty impressive. It's the ultimate compliment, really, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I mean that's pretty impressive. 
you know, that, you know, Purdue's been at that level for the last several years. And when we do get beat, cause it happens, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty sensational for the other team and the students and the fans, but you know, tonight's going to be no different than, than, than the last couple games. And, you know, the last, you know, you know, Purdue's thinking about, you know, getting beat there last year. Fans are thinking about it. That's going to bring an extra level of, uh, of excitement, of energy. But if Purdue, you know, if, if Purdue does what they, you know, what they're supposed to do, you know, feed Edie, you know, you know, he's going to have a presence. We can knock down shots. You know, we've got a talented team like we have in the past. We just, we, we need, we need to, we need to have a special night. Lastly, Brian, Brian Cardinal's our guest, the former Purdue great. Um, when I had reached out to you about coming on here and we, we, we went back and forth for a second, just about the game tonight, you said something interesting to me and I wanted you to elaborate on it. And that was it. You mentioned, you said, you know what, Jake, I love Bobby Knight. And I know that Bob Knight had a very close relationship with Gene Cady that was probably to a lot of people, uh, that peak behind the curtain came for both gentlemen in their later years, right? Where we realized that they actually were great friends despite their competition. And they had a special bond, really. Is that the origin of your love for Bob Knight or does it go back to the days of competing against him? Well, I think, I think it goes back to, you know, the first moments of just seeing him on the sideline, right? I mean, growing up, seeing, seeing his intensity, um, seeing his fiery spirit on the sideline. You know, I love that. Uh, I love that about Coach Katie. I loved being coached by Coach Katie because he had that attitude. He had that mentality. Um, but, you know, so did Coach Knight. And then, and then fast forward, then, having, you know, having a chance to play at Purdue, having a chance to compete against Coach Knight, um, you know, was even more special. You know, after, after every game, whether win or lose, I made a point to go over and, 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 and you know, either congratulate him or, or wish him luck the rest of the year. Um, just because I respected, you know, him as a coach, you know, you know, the things that, that he was able to do, you know, to get, you know, on the court, the championships that he's won. Um, you know, I just, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoyed that part of it. I, you know, I enjoyed talking to him. Um, you know, I've got a great pitcher, you know, Coach Knight and Coach uh, Coach Katie uh, were celebrated several many years ago in Chicago in a big black tie affair, and it was awesome. And I have a picture between Coach Coach Knight and Coach Katie. Um, uh, you know, I just I just enjoyed competing against him because I I knew he was going to give his his all, um, and 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 I, I was going to give my best effort. And uh, fortunately, I, I, I won more than I lost against against them. Um, but that was that was just, that was uh, just a special moment, and and grateful for those times. Brian, I assume you've got a key ring with like 150 keys on it because every janitor does, right? Um, but I appreciate you kind of unlocking the memories for us, and and also a glimpse for tonight in this game between Purdue and Indiana. Uh, pleasure having you on, man. I appreciate the perspectives, and certainly appreciate your time today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, Brian, Brian Cardinal, uh, of course, a legend for the Purdue Boilermakers. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, last night, Pacers in Salt Lake City uh, got away from them. Once it got into like the 
probably, you know, 15, 20 point range. I think Rick Carlisle realized, look, back to backs, I'm going to clear the bench out and, and a good chance to get some young guys that we haven't seen a lot, uh, some minutes and, and just get acclimated, not to the altitude, but to the NBA. Joining us now from Fieldhouse Files, Scott Agnes joins us on the program. And Scott, I'll begin with that. Uh, let's go with Jarris Walker. That was the first time that we've seen really extensive minutes. I did not think he shot the ball well, but he did show some glimpses in terms of a good basketball sense, if that makes sense. Let's begin with your critique of Jarris Walker's play. Yeah, I know it's, it's something a lot of Pacer fans have been clamoring for. They've been wanting to see a little bit more action from the Pacers lottery pick. And so that was the, that was the one bonus from last night. But the shots not falling like they didn't, um, I think is more of a – it's not typical. Why I say that is because I've been watching him in all these G League games recently, and that's been among his best features. On top of that, he's still coming back from an illness. He didn't begin, join the team on the road trip. So some of those things you understand. But the biggest aspect of your game, his game you got to like, is his vision, is his passing ability, and kind of some of those instincts, especially defensively. Like we saw him – uh, find a corner pass. We saw him poke it away from a, a player to, from behind, setting up a transition dunk for himself. Those are little aspects of his game uh, that we were able to get a glimpse of last night. Because one thing I try to try to reemphasize is he's just one year out of college. He's only twenty. He his greatest benefit right now will just be the game rest, and so that's where the G Leagues come in great hand. Scott, what impacted things more last night? Being down effectively three starters, we knew Tyrese was not going to be available due to the grade one hamstring, but Neesmith and Bruce Brown also out with their own respective injuries. Did that impact things more, or was it just the totality of, like we've seen again this season with a lot of NBA teams, but the Pacers too, the second night of a back-to-back and just it, it being too much with how thin they were and with how much of a gauntlet this road trip is? Yeah, and that's what's interesting about that is almost all teams seemingly go through this this stretch where they do in some combination at Denver and at Utah, and it's often on a back-to-back, which I almost don't think is fair uh, because you, you work in – it's usually at the start of or end of a road trip. you got the altitude aspect and all that. So even if the Pacers were at full strength last night, I almost would have said last night was a scheduled loss, meaning you go into that game and high, there's very high chances of the team coming away with a loss. Then you add to the fact that they're down two defenders and their top player and an all-star in Tyrese Halliburton. This was set up for failure, unfortunately. Uh, so it kind of went exactly how, how I thought last night. The, the game itself... I thought, Scott, and and you correct me if I'm wrong, I thought their post-defense, and in particular, just not allow, like sealing off the wing and and allowing, you know, I mean, Utah, it felt like at one point they had like seven straight possessions with lob dunks. I I, I felt like they're in the first half of the game when when the Pacers still had everybody out out there, that their post-defense regressed a little bit. Their wing defense regressed a little bit. Am I being too critical? No, but I think it all starts with Laurie Markkinen and trying to figure out a way in which to defend him, and they're still looking for answers. I mean, number one, he's an elite player, probably an all-NBA talent, uh, certainly an all-star, was the reigning Western Conference player of the week. But beyond that, Jake, uh, they tried so many different things in trying to slow him, and then it, I think it directly impacted how they defended elsewhere, right? Like throw, starting Andrew Nemhart on him is almost unfair to Andrew and the entire team. There's like a seven inch difference in height alone um, right there. And I think that 
speaks to the greater concern, big picture about what this Pacers can can accomplish and their limitations. Now, no, it didn't help that that Aaron Neesmith was out. He probably would have drawn the first assignment. But again, that's where they really need someone at that a big wing on this at the three and four position. And then to your greater point, I think it was a trickle down effect. Is then then wherever how everybody else guarded was directly impacted. And you saw a guy like Colin Sexton. Uh, go off for 30 points, which was a huge night for them to have two 30-point scorers in a game where <laughs> their stars didn't even need 30 minutes of action. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. Scott, I know we mentioned briefly Jairus Walker already, but he gets 26 minutes. Ben Shepard mm-hmm. gets 25. The clamoring has been there all season, especially for Jairus Walker to get more minutes, to see what he has after he's balled out at times for the Mad Ants in the G League. When you look at what the Pacers were up against, not just opponent-wise Utah, but up against internally of having three starters out, and that's a large reason why the minutes were available for Walker and Shepard. What were those reps for them more about? Seeing what they're able to do with an adverse situation and see what they're able to do at the NBA-level pace or just get them reps and get them more exposed to the league? It's the latter. They just simply need game minutes out there to experience NBA environments. One thing you got to keep in mind, too, is during this road trip out west, this is the first time for each of those guys to even experience those venues. So it's as simple as those guys establishing a pregame routine, going out on the court, getting getting the viewpoints and, and those sorts of things, playing in a more hostile, active environment. Denver Denver's fun. Utah's a lot of fun. Uh, there was another sellout last night in Salt Lake City. So I think it first of all comes down to the rookie season about getting comfortable, gaining confidence in yourself, learning the way in which Rick Carlisle coaches and wants what he's demanding out of you. And then from there, it's about picking up the chemistry with your teammates and not being afraid to play your game. I think one of the great challenges, especially for someone who's not immediately getting playing time, not immediately in the rotation and being asked to do a lot, it's being out there and and trying to contribute while also not getting in the way, if that makes sense. Like, I think there'd be a lot of questioning of yourself, whereas like a guy like Jairus Walker was a star at IMG Academy. He goes to Houston and he's the fourth option, but he plays his role on a team that is so successful. So that's a big transition period for those guys. And then if you look at Ben Shepard, he's played in the same system the past four years at Belmont. So he, he, he's a high IQ player, a smart guy, can play both ways. So I fully expected Ben to be in the rotation after uh, the Pacers injury report came out. And then in terms of Jairus Walker, Rick, Rick hears it. He knows it. He's, pro- he's probably listening and, and seeing all those comments on – I don't know whether it's his social media or someone else getting it to him, but he acknowledged a couple weeks ago, hey, look, I, I hear it all. There's things we're asking him to do. When he gets there, he'll be in the rotation, and we want to see more of him. And a couple weeks ago, Rick was even courtside for a couple Mad Ants games to see the progress being made by these two rookies. It comes down, Jimmy, just about getting them out there and getting them this, these game reps that they've lacked this season. Scott, you watched the game, obviously, last night, right? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to need your – True confessions here. You ready? <laughs> Bring it. We're going to put the truth serum in you, Scott Agnes. You're a you're a basketball mind that watches games that that goes to practices that goes to games, interviews coaches. You know the league. You've got Fieldhouse files. You write stuff as well for for this website. You've worked for the Pacers. You you, you know the NBA. Okay. How far into the game last night 
were we? Because the, the Jazz have changed their color scheme 646 times in the last three seasons. They how have. far? Isn't how far? <laughs> totally right. How far into the game last night were you before you realized that the lane was not actually a green and black hybrid paint scheme, but that that was actually from the overhead video boards that were reflecting into the paint? I'm trying to envision what you're talking about here. So so the, the, the lane in Salt yeah. Lake is black, right? Yes. But the video boards above, like they have at Gamers Fieldhouse. How it's like glossy. Yes. And I was like, wow, ah, that is yeah, super yeah. cool how they have like a green and black, like glossed mixed paint. And then I re- it was like midway through the third quarter before I realized, wait a minute, that's actually the video board reflection. That that so was what? the stuff that I was paying attention to once they were down 20. I respect that because you got to find something to keep your interest. And totally. When, when it's a game like that. When, I have not been there since the pandemic, but I think since then they've installed a, a new giant video board, which speaks to this. And on top of that, they've done a lot of upgrades, much like the Pacers have to the field house, more club amenities and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't even think about that at registering, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. The, um, the, the road trips themselves, Scott, you know, I, I thought that the back-to-back – and the Pacers kind of made a decent amount out of this, at least on the broadcast. You know, Jeremiah and Eddie were talking about it after the game that had taken place in Denver. The fact that, like, it wasn't one of those typical leave at, like, 11 o'clock and fly and land at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever it may be, right? So, in, in terms of these road trips, the way that it works – Mm-hmm. Would they have stayed the night in Salt Lake, or do they immediately get out and then rest and relax before, I believe it's um, next on the stop would be, is it Sacramento or Portland they yeah. go to next? Yeah, it's Sacramento, and they left immediately to Sacramento last night. So they're in they're in Sacramento. So, so they're already in Sacramento. Do they, what is, like, do they take the day off? I mean, do they get days off on a road trip? Well, this is a rare case, and they even touched on it on the broadcast, where I think it's basically their only time for a month, Jake, where they have two days between games. Because this this January schedule has been such a challenge and will continue to be. I think they have 17 games throughout the month, the month most ever. So that, in the big picture, is a lot of what they're going through right now. So i got to imagine after traveling last night, they're taking two day off. Uh, then we'll practice on Wednesday. It allows one – I think you'd rather be in Sacramento, a little bit nicer weather. Uh, you also have Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald's return to Sacramento, which normally would be the big storyline, but with Tyrese being out, uh, it's not as much. And then to go back to what you're saying, though, about the back-to-back and the schedule, it, they were fortunate it wasn't the traditional back-to-back because they played at Denver the previous day on a 3.30 afternoon game. I guess it was 3.30 local time here. Uh, so a little different mountain time out there, I believe. Uh, but that allowed for them to get to Salt Lake City then at a more reasonable hour and beat some more weather that apparently, I guess, went down there. Yeah, so, I heard like some people, it was tough getting in. Like I know people that exactly. went from Denver to, to Salt Lake. Um, and by the way, I don't know if you just mentioned this, Scott, so my apologies if I'm repeating. But verify from the Pacers, they do have a day off today. So they get to Sacto have the day off, relax, whatever, walk around Sacramento, I guess. And then you're right, a little bit better weather. And then uh, back on the horse itself. Scott Agnes is our guest. Uh, Scott, let's go back to just from a a health standpoint. Where do we stand here? Halliburton, we know the status there. 
But there are others, including Isaiah Jackson, I think, had twisted his ankle yesterday. Aaron Neesmith, uh, you know, Brown that was out. Where do we stand from a health standpoint for the back end here of this road trip? Yeah, that's one of the, the big challenges as they continue to pile up here. The good news is none of them seem to be serious as, as far as we know. Um, we saw late in the game, Matherin and Jackson both go out with what appeared to be kind of minor injuries. They went back to the locker room. And it was like a 20-point game at that point, you know, midway, late in the second half. So no point to even bring those guys back. Matherin was ruled out. Jackson was technically questionable return, but I loved it. Quinn Buckner, who played the game at every level, when Chris said it, he goes, yep, he ain't coming back. Like, <laughs> that, that said all you needed to know. So I'm guessing those two will be on the injury report as at least questionable for Thursday's game. Uh, Bruce Brown, I, I think it was more so a case of being on a back-to-back. Of course he was going to play in Denver as he had his ring night and was really able to enjoy the emotions there. And it was cool to see him celebrated, especially for only playing in Denver one year. Like, it felt like he had been there five years based on kind of the reception and how much his former teammates kind of embraced him. And then this Aaron Neesmith injury is something that's been added to the injury report in the last week like bilateral shins. I don't even know the exact uh, description of what he's dealing with in his shins there. It kept him out last night. I think it's something that's going to be kind of a day-to-day thing. And again, being on a back-to-back, they wisely probably said, hey, look, let's not try to force it here and and risk anymore. So I would surmise that each of those players will all be questionable going into Thursday's game. But then, guess what? Another back-to-back because then it's at Portland the next day. That's what makes this six-game road trip over 12 days so difficult. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Scott, detractors, if there are any, of Tyrese Halliburton will point to how he's not the best defender. I mean, some will will point to, and there's been other comparisons with Damian Lillard and the and the look of the watch and all that. You know, banter on the court, but in terms of his play style, like yeah, there's times where he is just not a top tier elite defender. He's average or below average, and maybe they'll look better defensively without him. Not to say again that you're going to move on from him, but just how will they look defensively without him? Through four games or two and two, visually from my standpoint, I haven't seen a drastic difference in terms of this team. Granted, last night. It's tough with all the injuries that stacked up. Have you viewed it that way in terms of how they looked any different defensively without him in a positive way? Uh, not in particular, mostly because what he does offensively sometimes can be your best defense, yeah. right? The way in which you're playing the threat that you can have, right? And in doing so, the Pacers scored 109 and 105 points in their last two games. That's not what this group was or has been, right? When they were on that race to have a historic offensive output. And then they reset it a little bit, and that's, that's where in the bigger with, – with what the Pacers are trying to get accomplished here, that's what I think made the, uh, the change that has been most helpful here moving forward. They were last in defensive rating, last in opponents' points. And since kind of the last 12 games is the threshold I'm taking where they're 9-3, and three, their scoring is down. They've dropped from first to fifth, but their defensive rating is 15th over that stretch. And I'll give them credit. That's exactly what we were generally all clamoring for, right? Like, you don't have to be a a top five or a top ten defense. Just be average. And that's exactly what they have been over this last almost a month now we're approaching as they had that practice that kind of changed things back on December 19th. Um, They're 19th in opponent's points. I think they were 29th or 30th. Again, that's, that's good progress. That's a good climb forward, I think, for this group, considering there weren't personnel changes. It was more schematics, what they're asking them to do, 
the big buzzword that you keep hearing from Coach Rick Carlisle and company is force. They want to play, be more physical, play with force, be on the attack rather than kind of, you know, responding to what opponents are doing there. So you asked about Halliburton. I don't notice any significant change what they're trying to do defensively. And a a large part of that, too, is guys keep going in and out of the lineup, right? I don't think we've seen 100% Andrew Nemhard this season because he's dealt with two, three, four different injuries uh, that he's had to try to overcome. Aaron Niesman is now missing time. Um, So right now they're just trying to piece it all together to, I think, kind of get through this month and then get to the February All-Star break. But right now, and as a team, I've been impressed with the changes they've made. When this road trip started this past Friday, my outlook was if you can go 2-4 and four or 3-3 three and three without Tyrese Halliburton, I'll be impressed. And again, we mentioned it a couple times over the course of this conversation, the injuries have stacked up a bit as of late. When you look ahead at Sacramento, then a back-to-back against Portland, and then Phoenix, this road trip concludes on the 21st this Sunday. Can they reach that mark I set them? Can they get another win on this stretch? You would hope so, because Portland is is not good at all. They they keep having even more injuries. Seller Shaden Sharp's going to continue to miss time. He's the second-year player that's been uh, really good for the Trailblazers. I'd be surprised even if under undermanned as they are right now that they wouldn't win to Portland. However, I preface that by also noting that back on November 27th at home, they lost to the Trailblazers team because one of the bugaboos of this group that they're trying to fix and overcome, even Tyrese has talked about it, is, yeah, they get up for the big games, but they've also you know suffered losses at Washington and to the Trailblazers. So I fully expect for them to get at least one more win on this road trip. Two's going to be pushing it unless maybe the last game Phoenix rests some, some of their stars because they are finally getting healthy. Uh, but don't you don't you agree? I think that Portland should be a win. Yeah, that's the one I'm pointing to and saying if you're going to get the second win with confidence, it would be that matchup. But like you said, second night of a back-to-back, who knows where the injury report is, and they've already lost to them once. Scott, here's what, I, here's what I've got to know. Denver, Salt Lake City, Sacramento, Sacramento Portland, Phoenix. Okay, uh, Scott Agnes, you got to pick two of those to move to what are your top two choices i think i'm going phoenix number one seed okay. and i think sacramento would be number two seed Ooh, interesting that's gonna surprise people i think a lot of people might have picked denver no to i'm kind of with you on sacramento like okay. I, it's it's like indianapolis it's really hot in the summertime um have you been to sacramento i have yes i i I kind of like it because of its proximity to Tahoe and the coast, right? And Napa is where I'm getting at. And Napa. I mean, you got yep. like an hour and a half to Napa, probably an hour to Napa, right? Right. Cause that's, that's for example, where, where Demonis Sabonis lives. He kind of lives in between right there. So that's, that'd be one of the great appeals. You would have a little bit of a drive, but man, that'd be hard to beat. Now, okay, so what's your bottom two out of that? Denver, Salt Lake, Sacto, Portland, Phoenix. Uh, probably, no, not probably. Portland would be my bottom. Okay. Uh, then Utah going from bottom, then Denver. I love Colorado. I do. Salt Lake City, I'd like to spend more time there. I have never skied in general, so I think that's why Denver and Utah are probably a little further down. And then Phoenix, Scottsdale, like, give me, give me all the golfing weather I can. I'd take that all day. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously you're not worried about scorpions, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd have a problem in Phoenix if you don't like scorpions. I mean, I'm cool with like a, a daddy long legs crawling across the floor, but a scorpion, like you know, different issue. But you know, <laughs> Phoenix is cool. Don't get me wrong. Little 116, probably not, not great, but Denver's pretty hard to beat. But but everybody's moving out there now, so it's too hard. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's become the new Austin. And I, what totally. I'm curious is what's next? What's the next city after Denver now? Or are we already there and I'm missing out? I don't know. So the next big booming city, um, you, you ready for this? You're going to laugh at me. Now, I'm not saying to the level of like major city. Mm-hmm. Asheville, North Carolina. N- n- Austin, Texas was the big one, right? Because of the tech stuff, whatever else. And then obviously, okay, Colorado Springs would be one probably. Um, but I don't know that we have like a an already established major city that becomes then a super city. You know what I mean? Now I think it's all regional stuff. Asheville, Chattanooga, and Colorado Springs would be the th- – oh, Boise. There you go. Boise is another one. Really? That, yeah. Oh, that would surprise me. Yeah. Californians are all moving to Boise. And people that are native of people that are natives of Idaho are mad about it. And Davey Hamilton, who has a place in Boise, told me that he had a rental car with a California plate, and people were flipping them off all over the place. Which probably isn't unusual for Davey, but you know, I was having this conversation over dinner last week. In fact, I was like, "We've had Austin, Denver. I think it's kind of played out now for the last many years. What's next?" And I didn't have an obvious answer. There. Yeah, I'll go with Boise. Actually, now that I think about it, there's my there's my answer for you. Okay, that's something we'll be tracking then. Good to know. All right, Scott, we appreciate it as always, man. All right, absolutely. Thanks, Scott Scott Agnes joining us on the program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So uh, tonight, I should say, down in Assembly Hall, big one. Purdue and Indiana rivalry resumes. Mike Woodson 3-1 and one against the Boilermakers. Purdue coming in, of course, after an incredible pre-Big Ten schedule, but two losses so far in the conference, Nebraska and Northwestern. Those teams shot the ball really well. Indiana has yet to really do that consistently in a game. Joining us to talk about that and in his own words, now I'm going to read exactly what Todd Leary said to me. Todd, I want you to verify that this is what you said. I have rebuttals to Brian Cardinal. I have lots to say, is what you said. <laughs> right? Well, when don't I have lots to say? <laughs> that is a fair what point. Most people would say. <laughs> that is a fair point. Um, all right, first off, just your overall – I'll bring you in the same way that I did Cardinal and just talking about the Purdue-Indiana rivalry. You know, you're a guy that grew up in the state of Indiana. You grew up watching IU. When was the moment that you realized, or what was the moment that you realized the depth of the rivalry? Because that was when did you have your coming of age that Purdue was a team you did not like? Um, I don't think it was by choice. I think it was pretty much a family um, trait. And and you know, Sundays the Bob Knight Show was basically our church, and so. You know, we just, my, my mom and dad loved Indiana basketball. They loved Bob Knight. Um, they just loved the whole discipline aspect of it. Obviously, they loved the winning side of it. And so, you know, it's just, it's what I grew up knowing. You know, it's, it's, it was just the way that things were. And, you know, I, it's, it's funny because I, I really enjoyed listening to Brian Cardinal. And yeah, he, he would definitely be on my list as one of my most hated. Purdue Boilermakers um, as a player, not a person. Um, and I hope he takes that as a compliment. But um, certainly just just growing up, it was one or the other. Like all of my friends, a lot of them, Greg Akers and a lot of those guys, we were all just Indiana fans. Like we all just liked Indiana. And then there was the Doug Bowens of the world who, 
their parents went to, went to Purdue and they were the Purdue people. And so, you know, we, our friends, we were all friends, but boy, we loved to have this rivalry. So as a player, my question for you, Todd Larry, is, you know, and I'd mentioned this earlier, I, we as fans or as students have like this hatred, right? And then like it was almost like this disappointment of reality of finding out, wait a minute, you guys actually kind of got along with one another. But <laughs> but from that playing standpoint, and, and certainly you were part of the famous locker room of Bob Knight going off, like we're not going to lose to Purdue, you better go up there Monday night and play or you're not going to eat supper, the whole, the whole deal, the whole nine yards. Right. As a player, what was the rivalry like or was it another Big Ten game? No, so you know, Coach Knight's big thing, and th- and this is where this is where you almost have to you know read between the lines a little bit. But his big thing was no game is more important than another, and you know I I don't think Coach Knight was a real winking kind of guy, but I think he kind of gave us the head nod and the eyebrow raise where Kentucky and Purdue were different, and and you know he didn't even really he, he didn't definitely didn't have to say it, but the fact that there's two games you better win. It doesn't mean if you lose all the rest of them and win those, like you're going to be okay. Like he's not going to be mad. That's not an issue, but um, those are games that you better win. And, you know, it, it certainly uh, was never said in those particular words, but it didn't need to be. And, and we knew what it was. One of the biggest differences today, and the rivalry is not any different. I mean, the, Fans don't hate each other more today than they did before. Just social media is a lot different than it was back then. If you would have read some of the letters that we would receive, those I mean, we get a lot of. We used to get a lot of letters from, you know, kind of fans, and then we used to get a lot of letters from other teams' fans too that were not very nice. And and you know, in this day and age, I wish I had held on to a lot of those, especially Bailey. Bailey should have held on to. His, he could have written a book just on publishing those, but that's the that's what makes it fun. I mean, you know, like last week, Indiana beats Minnesota. Yes, it's a good win. You have to have it. It's, you have to have it. No one's going to tell me that feels the same as beating Purdue. Not even close. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Leary joins us. Todd, this will definitely be a non-biased, honest answer. And, you know, as a fellow <laughs> IU alum, I, I jest here. Sure. But when you were a part of the rivalry and in the years that have followed since... The little brother syndrome's a real thing, right? Like that's not something IU fans made up. That's real. Yeah, it's real. It's real, and, and you know, it's it's almost like it's the little brother syndrome, and then you know, the little brother taller and bigger and stronger and faster. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough to you know, like like I'll say this, and and, and you know, some of the Indiana fans have probably turned the station as soon as I say this, but I mean. What, what I hate most about Purdue right now is the fact that their offense is as close as you could possibly get in today's college basketball world. And it has evolved. It's not the same thing. But it's as close as you could possibly get to being a hybrid between the motion offense and today's pro-style offenses that everyone runs. And so that's why I, I enjoy watching Purdue play because they look very similar. If, if there was a Bob Knight team, if Bob Knight was – 
50 years old in today's world and he was coaching a team, I think his team would look would play on offense very similar to what Purdue plays like. And so for me, that joy watching them play, they're good. I don't. Th- I think Indiana fans, um, ne- neither team enjoys this near as much. Team sucks. I mean, it's more. It's much more fun when they're both good and you feel great about beating up on them. I mean, the little brother thing. I mean. When when you're 15 and your little brother is six and you beat up on him, I mean that's ah, not that fun. But when you're when it's a competitive match, that's when it becomes fun, and and that's why this thing is so. I love that they hate us. I'm sure they love that we hate them. It's that it is. Todd, who was your least favorite Purdue player of all time? Craig Riley. <laughs> no second answer. You probably won't get that from anyone else. His name probably won't be brought up, but I'll tell you why. Because we lost to them in a game, I believe we could have clinched. I think we tied for the Big Ten. That's ninety-two, title. right? Yeah, I think so. And 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 when we got on, we lost that game, and that's right there with the Duke loss. Like that's one that stuck in Coach Knight's crawl for a long time. But when we got on the bus, he blasted the interview as loud as it could possibly be on the bus. Which you know how loud those radios can be he blasted the post-game interview of craig riley and and they're great like i'm not even trying to rip on them i'm just saying like we should have easily beat them that should have been a game that we clinched the big 10 title it was a definite disappointment we didn't win it outright by ourselves and craig riley on there talking about their entire season was made by us the, that interview will stick with me forever, and he's my all-time least favorite. And he's the nicest guy. He, I've met him several times, nicest guy in the world, and I hate him. <laughs> Did you tell him that? Of course. You know me. You know me. Of course I did. All right, fair enough. Uh, Todd Leary, our guest. Todd, what does Indiana need to do tonight? I mean, and don't say score more points. Um, what it, You know, you've seen this team. Your thoughts on Indiana, and in particular, I, I'm I'm over Xavier Johnson. I'm not going to lie to you. I, at, at this point, I don't get it. Um, he's too old to be doing the stuff he's doing. I think he's a detriment more than he's helping at this point this season. But that's a whole different talk show, I guess. Uh, what is Indiana, or is Xavier Johnson actually the key to tonight? Because i got to shoot from the outside. Yeah, I don't know if key is the right word, but I think he's a big um, a part of it. I think he does need to be a part of it. Um, they're, they're super, super inexperienced at guard without him. And so, um, I, I think it would be, uh, hugely beneficial if he has a good game and I don't mean score. He doesn't have to score 15 points. He doesn't have to do anything crazy, but he definitely has to defend. Um, they've got a lot of guys that you really have to guard or they can, they can kind of go off. And, and so, um, I think his defense will be a huge factor, but but not just talking about him. I mean, on the offensive end, this Indiana team has to be able to dictate what's going to happen, and that means they've got to be able to utilize their two inside guys. Which one of them has a good, has the better night? I don't care, um, and, and I don't think they do either. But I think they need to feed off of each other, get Edie into some uncomfortable situations. Um, I'm a huge Zach Edie fan. Um, I enjoy watching him play. My mom would disagree. She she does not enjoy it. My mom still has the hatred for Purdue that I should have, I guess. But um, th- this this Indiana team has got to make something, 
do something different to Purdue um, that, than what they've done to other teams. And, and that is kind of dictate the way things go offensively and defensively. Playing at home, that should be easier for them than it will be going to Mackey Arena. But um, they've got to be able – if Purdue's coming down and running their, their you know circle plays where they've got the ball going all over the place and then it goes into Edie in the middle of the lane, if they're able to run that – Purdue will win by 20. There, there will not be a way to stop that. I don't. It doesn't matter what team you're playing against. If they're able to run that, they're going to beat you. Todd Leary is our guest. Todd, you were a 42% three-point shooter in your career at Indiana, and this isn't an exclusive Mike Woodson problem. It's really, and I know that this is not a name that people beloved by any means, but really post-Tom Crean, there's yet to be an IU team that was just highly efficient or highly successful from beyond the arc, and that's spanning two different coaching regimes. They've been at average or below average, usually, from a three-point shooting standpoint. Why is that, or is that just a weird, like, coincident quirk aspect of what, like, the last two coaches have been? For two or three seasons, you could say it's a coincidence or unfortunate circumstance, but not when it's gone on for this long. And, and, you know, this team... Um, when you look back at the really good Bob Knight teams and even, you know, the, the um, teams and, and yogis and those guys, like they had multiple guys that could knock down shots. And, and that's why, I hate to flip it back to Purdue, but I mean, that's why Purdue, I think, is when they've got multiple guys that are making shots, they're really, really good. And when you have a basketball team that has multiple guys um, you know, I say to my post-game show all the time, like going back to the the game, the teams that I was on, I mean, I thank you for bringing it up. I, I'll make sure that I highlight that part of the show that you said there in my 42%. But, I mean, I was probably the sixth best option at best on a good day. So we just had tons of guys that could shoot. And that makes up for um, – I know when you, when your team doesn't shoot that well, Coaches tend to downplay the importance of it. And and honestly, I think that's what Coach Woodson does because Coach Woodson was always a good shooter. Um, don't think he ever really struggled or was really in situations where their team struggled. And this team struggles. There's no doubt about it. Like, even when they, um, you know, they got off to a great start in the Auburn game. I mean, that was flukish. Like, they had, I don't think anybody felt great at that timeout when they're up by 12. Like, I know I didn't. And so I just this this Indiana team has got to improve, um, and that part of that's going to happen next year. You know, I really I think I think given the circumstances, that Baco will probably be back next year, and and to have him and the incoming guy of Liam McNeely. I, yes, I'm being an Indiana guy already looking to next season and who we've got coming in. But but I mean I I feel good about the way that it's going to go. You I think if Baco does come back, right now. you think McKenzie and Baco comes back? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean I I don't think he's uh, I don't think he would be a first round draft pick right now, even though he was projected to start the season as that. I don't think he will be um, when the season's over, unless he just has. If he is, then he's boy, we're in for a heck of a second half of the season. Okay, how about Khalil Ware? Is he back next year? Nope. Nope. No chance. I mean, he's going to get drafted too high. And, and, I mean, I don't think anyone would, outside of just being a straight-up Indiana fan that wants to see him play, I, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, you'd probably be better off to ask the Pacers guy you had on if he's going to get drafted or not. But I think he's going to get drafted on 
potential alone. Todd, do you like the way Indiana's coached? I do. You know, I like the, where the program is. I don't think this team's where they should be. Um, and I, I don't think the Coach Woodson would disagree with that statement. Um, I think that, that he expected them to be farther along. I think they expected Mbako to uh, adjust a little bit better. I think they expected Xavier to have a much better start to his 17th season. I think that they expected – I think they're surprised with Malik Renew and Kalel Ware. I mean, that you have, you have basically replaced the production of Trace and Race being gone with those two guys. And that, I think, everyone would have told you would have not happened. There have been a miracle to happen. So, yeah, I, I think that aspect of it they have to feel great about. I think the guard aspect of it, uh, they probably are feeling like they're underachieving a little bit. And I – Hard to argue against that. Todd, I just figured out a 30-year mystery. It's taken me 30 <laughs> years to figure out this mystery. You ready? Oh, boy, yep. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Ted Valentine wanted to see you shoot. Somebody told <laughs> Ted Valentine that you were the sixth shooting option, so in the Duke game, he fouled out the other five and then let you have your run. You didn't know that I have a distant relative that is related to the Val- to Mr. Valentine, <laughs> so you, you're closer to – that being true than you think. By the way, Todd Leary, I'll leave you with this. Uh, Mark Monteith, who is a really good dude, and I don't know how well you know Mark, but he also goes to the same gym. Uh, he just texted me to say, hey, thought you'd want to know, I have a column coming up in this week's Indianapolis Business Journal about Craig Riley. <laughs> True story. Man, I can't wait to put that on my refrigerator. That awesome. <laughs> Maybe it's got more quotes, right? I'm going to have a motivational week. I can tell you, 2024 is going to be good for me. I'm going to, I'm going to beat that Craig Riley article to death. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, we appreciate it. Enjoy the game, and we appreciate the uh, breakdown of the Hoosiers as well. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, Todd Leary, former Indiana guard. Um, Good stuff there, you know. In Baco, that's that's interesting that he and I'm listen. With, I'm with Todd's him on that. A lot. I mean, I'm, I'm with him on that. I haven't seen enough to this point to think that it would be smart for him to enter the draft. But that I, said, he could still turn but it around. You know what, but Jimmy? I don't here's know. the thing. I, I don't disagree with that. But keep in mind, this is basically the time last year where Jalen Hood Shafino, we were having the same conversation, sure. and then. The light switch went off, and he turned up the wick, and Jalen Hutchfino became a, a, a first. And I pick. would gladly welcome that, as would Todd, as would all Indiana fans, if that's what happens with Mackenzie and Baco. As he said, it'll be, it'll be because fun they're going to have a heck of a happens, second right? half of the season, yeah. like he said. Yeah, uh, we'll come back. J and V just walked in, so we'll get ready for the handoff, and then get you set up for tonight. Indiana and Purdue here. You're listening to Quarian Company, ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan.